0: Well all right, well, if you have a Bible with you, I invite you to open to Psalm 107. Psalm 107. if you don't have a Bible, we got words on the screen and that's all I got to offer you this morning. There's not a few Bible. Um, there's a Bible app, lots of ways you could access it, but Psalm 107, and I want to talk this morning on the subject of being redeemed and thankful, redeemed and thankful. Um, last Sunday evening. We had um, a forum on homelessness and poverty that was provided by Vigilant Hope. Uh, a few of you were in attendance there at that and um, Kyle Pennington, one of our own, and Jeremy Hardy, who were on staff there, came and, and spoke to us. and just enlightened us some about the realities of um, you know homelessness and, and poverty and so forth. But in the course of their presentation, they mentioned that at their Monday morning breakfast gathering that they do weekly there, um, they have a devotion and prayer time. And so there's an opportunity for prayer requests and praise reports and so forth. And as with most of their activities, uh, most of the participants there are poor, some of them very poor, some of them um, homeless as well. But there are also almost always people among them who are fairly well off, or at least by comparison, and, and not unlike um, people from our church. I mean, we've been, our missional community has been engaging there regularly, um, and so most of our people from very different circumstances. So there's a, a combination of there of people. But it was interesting, they said, during the devotion time when there's Time for prayer and praise requests, it is the most needy ones among them who are the quickest to give thanks and praise. And it is those who are pretty well off who are the first to have prayer requests. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? Not altogether surprising, perhaps, if you think about it, but it seems like it ought to be the other way around. But those who live regularly in need know God to be regularly faithful because he is regularly meeting those needs. They are regularly crying out to him and witnessing his faithfulness in response to those cries. But if we live regularly in sufficiency and comfort, um, we're apt to think... It's just how it is, almost as if it's our birthright and we're entitled to it somehow. Again, we might not ever come out and say that necessarily, right? Just outright. But we live as if that's the case very often. But those who live in need and call out to God in need are thankful. They are redeemed and thankful as is fitting for everyone who names the name of Jesus. And that's the subject of this morning's message from Psalm 107. And so let's look there together now. And I'm going to ask you if you are able to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. And um, we're going to read down through verse 32. And we'll stop there. Psalm 107, beginning in verse 1. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. Hear the Word of the Lord. And he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man." For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He sent out His word and healed them, and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, and let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving, and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep, for he commanded and raised the stormy wind. Which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet. And he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray together. Well, Lord, we indeed thank you. We're. Um, exhorted by this whole psalm to thank you, Lord. But we begin by thanking you for the revelation you've given us in the scriptures. They are life and truth to us, and we need both today. And we pray that you would give us that, Lord, that you would quicken us, you'd minister a living word to us, and a true word that would challenge and change us. And so, Lord, we ask that you would speak your word by your spirit, through your servant to your people, for your glory and for our good. In Christ's name, amen. Well, those who have been uh, with us regularly know we've been going through just a short series on the Psalms over the summer and uh, really... Just kind of looking at a, a sampling of them, um, a dozen or so, uh, that, that, that give us little snapshots of different types of psalms, and we're, we're trying to get a little bit of a variety. Um, psalm 107 is a Thanksgiving psalm. There are, by my count, 17 uh, psalms out of the 150 that are Thanksgiving psalms, predominantly Thanksgiving So about a little over 10% of the Psalms are just expressions of Thanksgiving. Remember, one of the reasons, one of the observations we're interested to make in this um, series on the Psalms is just, what did the ancient people of God sing? And what did they pray? When Jesus was meeting weekly in the synagogue... And they sang, out of the psalms, what did they sing? And we see a variety of things that they they sung about. Some deep laments like we considered last week. Uh, Some that are just songs of pure praise. And ones like this, thanksgiving psalms. And verses 1 and 2 really summarize the whole psalm if you look at it there. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. That's reason enough, isn't it? Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble. God is good, so give thanks. If he's redeemed you, say so. That's kind of the... Bottom line of the message. He has redeemed you from, the ESV says, trouble. If you're reading a different translation, it might read something like, um, it redeemed you from the hand of the foe or the hand of the adversary, the hand of the enemy. That's literally uh, how it reads there. He saved us from something. And so, say so. The word redeemed calls to mind the Old Testament um, practice and in some cases, obligation of purchasing a relative out of bond service. Uh, They may have been taken into it or they may have sold themselves into it, but there's this this practice of um, a relative redeeming them from that, paying the price for them, whatever is owed to the one to whom they pledged, out of that station in life. The word here is used, obviously, broadly to refer to rescuing from trouble. And that's the theme, and it's elaborated, as you um, hopefully just picked up on, as we read that that together, but it's elaborated uh, through four word pictures of salvation and redemption. In each case, we see there were people who were in need. They cried out to God. God delivered them out of their trouble, and so they ought to thank Him. Every one of those four word pictures has that, uh, those themes. A need, they cry out to God, He delivered them out of their trouble. Let them thank the Lord, it says. And so, this psalm today deserves a response from everybody here. So, if sometimes you you hear a sermon and you go, I don't know what to do with that, I don't know what that has to do with me, let me just tell you what this has to do with you. There's a response for you, no matter who you are. There's one of two things. You ready? Either cry out to God because you're in need, that he describes here, or thank God because there was a time when you cried out to him in need and he delivered you. S- some of us may qualify for both. You know he's delivered you in the past, you thank him for it, but you're in need now and you need to cry out again. There's a response there uh, from all of us because these, each of these four snapshots depicts us in our past and in our present we're commanded to give thanks because God has delivered us when we were, number one, lost in wandering that's one of the first picture we see here. Second, bound through our rebellion. Third, afflicted by sin's consequences. And number four, overwhelmed by life lost in wandering, bound through rebellion, afflicted by sin's consequences and overwhelmed by life. And so we'll take it under those headings first, looking at those who were lost in wandering. Verse 4 says, Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. And the verse 7 says, He led them by a straight way till they reached the city to dwell in. So if you were in the midst of a desert wasteland, and you've seen pictures. Most of us have probably not visited a desert. Some of you may have. But when we, we have a, a picture in our head that we've seen in, uh, on movies and that kind of thing of a desert where it's just sand everywhere, right? There might be a token cactus or something in your, in your picture. But it's just, as far as you can see, just just desert wasteland. If you are there and lost, how do you decide which direction to go in? To find the, the one city that you know is out there somewhere. How do, you, how do you decide what direction to go in? Well, you've got 360 degrees to choose from. Not to mention the half degrees and the quarter degrees. You just do the hokey pokey and turn yourself around and then just, <laughs> just pick a direction. You know, you might uh, make an educated guess based on prior knowledge you have of that particular part of the world that you're in. You might know um, East is better than West to go because you know that's where populations are. And so you might be able to judge from the sun generally where uh, East and West is. You might be able to make an educated guess. You might be able to reason yourself through it by some means. Or you might just have to make a random guess. But the point is, if you're lost in the middle of a desert wasteland, you are just wandering in your lostness and lost in your wandering. And uh, that describes not only the people of Israel, at certain points in time, and we know of in their history, literally a desert wandering, right? That they were delivered out of. But it describes really all of humanity. And us as part of humanity at one time or another. That apart from the grace of God in Christ, we're just making our best guess, or a random guess, about what makes... A good life. What 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 is good and right and true? How do I find meaningful life? How do I how do I find eternal life if there even is such a thing? Apart from the grace of God in Christ, we are just wandering, just guessing as human beings, about what's good and what's true we're just lost wanderers and the and the the good news of the gospel is that Jesus came from the city of God so to speak to lead us to the city of God in other words it says here we were wandering in the desert we cried out and and he led us on a straight way to the city if somebody didn't come, to the wilderness we're wandering in. Somebody who knows where the city is to show us the way to the city. We're left wandering in our lostness. Jesus said of himself, of course, I am the way. And of course, the person who hasn't ever decided to follow him will not find God, will not find eternal life apart from Jesus. He is the way. Um, But you will find it with him. And that invitation is to all who will respond to that. But for those of us who do follow Christ, here's the question. Do you remember your wandering vividly enough and often enough to be thankful for it? You see, because, because we can we can live as heirs with Jesus of uh, heirs of, of, of all of the uh, riches of heaven for long enough that it just seems normal. It's like li- you know, living in a house where you always have a meal. You never think about not having a meal. It's one of the reasons the the poorest people downtown are most thankful because they don't necessarily know where the next meal is coming from. They're thankful for that breakfast. They're not sure where the next one's coming from. If you live with it all the time, though, you begin just to take it for granted. And so it goes with all kinds of things, including the very fact that he led us out of our lostness and wandering in the first place. And we need to just stir that up every once in a while in ourselves. Recall what you were before you met Jesus. And consider what you would have been without him. We're given that picture of being redeemed from uh, our lostness and wandering. Second, that we were people bound through rebellion. Verses 10 and 11 um, hit on this point. It says, Some sat in darkness in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. Let me just say parenthetically, if I were, if I were imprisoned every time I spurned the counsel of God, oh my word, I'd be in as much trouble as you would be. Come on, don't look at me like I'm strange. I know you. (laughs) They had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. And it reminds us here, not only in our human state were we wanderers, but we were rebels. We weren't just innocently lost, wishing we could find our way to God, but not able to. The Bible tells us here and elsewhere, we were rebels against God, so that, in a manner of speaking, we wouldn't have gone to the city if we did have directions apart from His grace. See, we want a city, but if we find out it's the city of God, as human beings, we say, no, I'll continue looking for my own way. Rebels, resisting the word of God, rejecting his counsel, and it lands us in captivity in the hands of the adversary. And, and that makes grace so much more amazing, doesn't it? You see, for the believer, listen, beloved, the, the, the Bible doesn't tell us these things in order to laden us with guilt and to, and to make us uh, sort of bow our heads going, oh boy, I really don't deserve to be here. I sure had just... But it is to call to mind how amazing grace is that this was me too. Not simply innocent wanderers, as I said, seeking after God. No one seeks after God. We read in, in, uh, in the Psalms and in Romans chapter 3, there's none who seeks after God. There's none who is good, no, not one. We weren't innocent wanderers seeking after God. We were wandering rebels, defiant, wanting to go our own way. Choosing a different way and then trying to talk ourselves into believing it's a good way. This is all around us right now. This is all around us. Um, people spurning the counsel of the Most High God have plenty of access to it. Maybe people who have even grown up in the church who spurn it want to convince themselves that something else is good and right and true, that there's another way. But it's not true, and it landed us in an enemy's prison. It's kind of, it brings to my mind the the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, if you saw the movie or read the book or whatever, and Edmund, you know, uh, wants to sort of go his own way and uh, find something attractive about the white witch until he's Imprisoned. (laughs) And so it goes, our rebellion lands us in captivity. And yet, He, the God against whom we rebelled, He brought us out of darkness. And He burst our bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord. That's good reason to thank the Lord right there. Can you say, "Thank thank you, Lord? Thank you for participating. Okay, so... The third picture we get here is people who were afflicted by sin's consequences. Verse 17 says, some were fools through sin, through their sinful ways and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. We know those who have grown up in gospel-believing, Bible-preaching churches. Churches, we know the Romans road, right? We know that all of sin and fall short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death, etc. The wages of sin is death in a spiritual sense, but some sin has its own natural consequences. And some of us know it all too well, don't we? I mean, there may be people who, because of sinful choices, um, get themselves into dire legal trouble, maybe serving jail or prison time, probation, hefty fines, restraining orders, consequences of sin. Some may engage in patterns of sin that lead to physical injury or harm or or physical addictions if it's a substance abuse issue. Uh, By the way, an addiction doesn't have to be substance abuse. Um, There can be sex and pornography addictions, food addictions, all kinds of things that we use to self-medicate, so to speak, that we use to give us some kind of rush that can can become a snare to us. There's a a consequence to our sins. There can be unwanted pregnancies that result, financial crises, disease. Think of things um, like intravenous drug use, um, you know, causing uh, hepatitis or HIV or things like that. And those are just examples of, of the physical consequences they could be and you know of others and maybe there are some you know of in your own personal life that come to mind right now. But that we suffer affliction because of our sins in some cases. And so have you contemplated recently, have you ever considered perhaps what consequences God may have spared you from that you don't even know about. Like, I mean, if you thought about, you you know what, and I'm not talking about, again, on a spiritual level, what penalty your sin deserved and that kind of thing, that sort of Sunday school class answers. I'm talking about, you know, that the, the sin you engaged in could very well have led to different consequences. And you don't even have to imagine it because you can look at a sibling or a friend or the person you used to run with and and don't know how am I the only one that didn't end up in prison or how am I the one that didn't end up dead and so forth I had a conversation with somebody recently, I don't even remember exactly what prompted this, it's kind of a short exchange, we we're talking about driving and uh, traffic violations and so forth, and I said, um, you know, I've, I've never had a speeding ticket, but it's not because I didn't ever deserve a speeding ticket. I have plenty of times deserved a speeding ticket, and it was only because there wasn't a, a police officer or a patrolman pointing a radar gun at me at the time, or because um, you know, the, the officer was apparently in a bigger hurry to get to something more important <laughs> than my speeding because I've passed or, or been passed by an officer while I knew good and well. Could have seen blue lights. Thank you, Lord. Now, that, so the point is, on, on, on so many levels, on so many levels, we would probably do well not to, not to revisit our sin for the purpose of, of, of living under the guilt and shame of it, but to say, God, you delivered me out of this. What, what could have become of this that didn't thank you, Lord, for your grace? We were there. We've, we have been lost in our wandering. We have been uh, the rebels that he spoke of imprisoned in our rebellion. We've been uh, living with the consequences of our sin, afflicted by them. And then fourth, we have been, like those in the psalm here, overwhelmed by life. Now, again, we've all been the other three things. You might not be willing to admit it, but everybody can say, okay, I've been overwhelmed by life. Verse 23 and following describe men who uh, went down to the sea in ships to do business. And a storm blows up and suddenly their lives are at risk and they're terrified and God calms the storm. These are people just engaged in commerce. They're just doing their job, so to speak. Right? They're just going to work, trying to make an honest living, just living life. Going down to the sea in ships to do business. Sometimes we experience adversity and distress in life, and and seemingly there is nothing that brought it on. There's no cause. You can't trace back and say, well, I brought this on myself or "It's, it's because of such and such. Not a consequence of any action on our part. Nothing we did to bring it on. Nothing we could do to stop it or could have done to prevent it, perhaps. It just happens. Adversity and distress. But notice what might make you squirm uh, just a little bit more about this in verse 25. He commanded and raised the stormy wind. This these men who went down to the sea in ships and the and the sea raised up and 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 raised them up and then lowered them down. God commanded and raised the stormy wind. And there are many of us who don't like the idea that God would cause distressing circumstances in our lives, but there are too many places in the Scripture that says He is master even of those kinds of things, and He does it for our good always. Okay, for those who belong to Him, for our good always. And let me illustrate in this way. You know that exercise is good for your body, right? It's good for the heart. You might not want to admit that either. There might be all kinds of things you don't want to acknowledge today. Exercise is good for you. It's good for the heart to actually stress your body some. And uh, we know also that prolonged sitting is one of the most unhealthy things that you can do. I read um, this online article uh, and I've heard that actually a few places in the last couple of years. I read this online article at uh, the Mayo Clinic website that said this, an analysis of 13 studies of sitting time and activity levels found that those who sat for more than eight hours a day with no physical activity had a risk of dying similar to the risks of dying posed by obesity and smoking. Okay. Those who sit for eight hours or more a day, this study said, an analysis of 13 different studies, said that the risks associated with sitting for that long are similar to the risks of obesity and smoking. I don't know if that's good news or bad to you. Um, it says, however, unlike some other studies, this analysis of data from more than 1 million people found that 60 to 75 minutes of moderately intense physical activity a day countered the effects of too much sitting. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm offering this by way of, an, of a helpful analogy, I hope, that the implication is that too much rest and comfort is bad for you. I mean, too much rest and comfort. You sit for eight hours a day. Let me, let me say this, by the way. Uh, this is a footnote. This is not in the Mayo Clinic study. This is just my own uh, kind of opinion. And if you've made it beyond 80 or 90 years old, who cares what the Mayo Clinic study says? You know, I mean, if you... <laughs> If you've, if you've sat for a long time, you've defied the odds, you go ahead and tell your story. I'm just reading the research to you, okay? <laughs> but, but too much rest and comfort is, is not good for you. And something, something similar is true on a spiritual level. That we grow from periods of distress not from comfort um, and rest constantly. The way that the way that we grow is exercising faith, exercising trust, laying under the weight of something that we can't bear, and then we say, "God, I need a spot." If you know that phrase in weightlifting. Get this weight off of me, Lord. But we grow from periods of distress, not, not just from periods of comfort. And sometimes we need our courage and our self-confidence and our self-sufficiency to be melted, as it, as it uses the language here in, in this passage. We need it to be melted away in order for us really to trust God at a deeper level and really to, to, know, to come to know Him more personally and love him more dearly we need for him to remind us once again how good he is how good he is to me personally not just abstractly but how good he is to me we need to be reminded of that to know what we truly value and so forth And one of the fruits of those experiences, like the others, is that we recover a sense of gratitude. Thanksgiving to God. He is good. Give thanks to him. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And we might do well to consider, by the way, as I conclude here, really just about all of these word pictures were given, all of these kinds of circumstances can be explained by the unbeliever or by the um, ungrateful believer, perhaps, can be explained in other ways besides thanking God. Another way of saying that is God's role in these deliverances People can explain by other means if you think about it. So I was lost, I was lost wandering in the desert. I just had a hunch, need to go this way, found my way to the city. Boy, this lost party sure is lucky I was with him <laughs> Or we could say about any of these other circumstances uh, in imprisoned, uh, suffering consequences of our I just got lucky or we fought hard through this storm, we rode it out until the, the weather turned in our favor. The point is, we can usually, any, any person can offer some other explanation and we're guilty of doing it probably more often than we realize. That even if not consciously, we just assume there's some other explanation rather than God deserves for me to thank him because he's delivered me out of trouble time and time again. And so we need to consciously and deliberately stir that up inside of ourselves. We have a lot to be thankful for and not the things that very often we default to thanking him for. Thank you, Lord, for the stuff you've given me and for good things Lord, please give me more stuff. That's our prayer outline usually. But to stir up in our, in our memories the once upon a time when I was lost in my wandering, when I was imprisoned as a rebel against God, when I suffered the consequences of my own sin, or even when I was just overwhelmed by life that just happened to me, even at the sovereign hand of God for my good always. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Can we say together one more time? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Okay, let's pray together. Well, Lord, we do thank you. You are good. Your mercy endures forever. Your steadfast love. And we do know, Lord, we do know that that has been true and continues to be true. So, Lord, call to our mind all the ways we need to be reminded of your great provision for us, your faithfulness to us. Lord, and I pray for those who maybe this morning are wandering or may be ensnared by their own sin in some way. They may be living in rebellion and and beginning to realize the pains that come from that. Oh Lord, those who may just be doing the things that life and responsible living require of them, And a storm has blown up in their lives. Lord, for those who need to cry out to you, Lord, would you hear their cries and deliver them out of their distress that they too might have a word in their mouth to thank you for. Lord, you are our God. We are your people because you have set your love upon us. We pray you'd be glorified in our lives. And Lord, would you minister uh, this truth to each of us as we leave here and as we have need. In Jesus' name, amen.